this past month, uh, right after they sent me this video, Jean-Marc also contacted me and said that his sister suddenly passed away back in Haiti. And uh, he is the one who is taking care of his mother and taking care of um, all of the finances for the funeral, everything like that. And so your gifts are actually helping to make sure that he's able to take care of his family, making sure that the church is taken care of, making sure ministry is taken care of. Your finances, uh, your way of loving them is really felt right now. And he texted me this morning to let us know that, um, how much he loves us. And I told him that we'd be praying uh, for him and his family. So could we do that right now? Just pray for them. Father, I pray right now specifically for Jean-Marc and Mira. I pray for Mira to be a support to Jean-Marc as he's grieving and as he's uncertain of what to do and how to serve his family. I pray for Jean-Marc and his heart and the way he is hurting right now and grieving, Lord, that you would draw near to him. You come near to the brokenhearted And I know he is brokenhearted right now. Yet he trusts you. He knows that you are sovereign. He said it himself, you are on the throne. And he believes that. So, Lord, I pray that 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 truth would be a peace to him today. Lord, help him to know how loved he is by Old Powhatan Baptist Church, but more so by you, the one who has loved him enough to bring him out of darkness into light, and the one who now will provide for his every need because you promised to. Lord, his greatest need right now is to know that love, and so I pray that your nearness would be a joy to him, that the smile would not go away, that he would be a person who would find his joy and his strength in you and you alone. And give him wisdom to know how to care for his mother, to how, to, how to care for the needs back in Haiti. Give him the ability to care for them. And Lord, however you want to use your people here to meet those needs, draw us in so that we can make sure that our brother is taken care of. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is what love looks like. What love looks like is we've loved because we've been first loved by God. And that's what we want to talk about today. So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. As we look at this theme of gospel love, our culture has many ideas of what love is. I don't think that's any secret, right? The fact of the matter is you can get a different definition from just about every person in the world on what love is. You can see in people's actions and in their lives that we live in a day and age when love is defined by emotion, by feelings, by romance, by urges, by lust, by if you watch any, anything on TV that's like a reality show or a love reality show, whatever reality television is, then it's a connection, whatever that means. We have a connection. I don't know what that means, but that's what it is, right? But before we get too low in our viewpoint of this era of history and think, oh, we're living in the dredges of society, which may be true. I don't know, right? It might be true. But before we get too low on this era of history, let's just remember that the, the fact is that this has always been the case. This definition of love has been mixed up forever. The world since Adam and Eve eight of the fruit in the garden has had the wrong idea about love because they've had the wrong idea about God. Just think about the Old Testament. Think about what we've studied so far coming through Genesis and Exodus in the Old Testament. How many of these early fathers of the faith were running after their own lusts and running after their own desires and running after their own emotions and calling it love? Running after their own cravings and pulling in all that they just saw with their eyes and loved with their eyes. I mean, God's law given at Mount Sinai is basically what? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. 
that this is what the whole law boils down to, Jesus would tell us. And if that's the case, just take a step back and think about it. If God has to tell his people how to love God and love one another, they must have been doing it wrong up to that point. This has never been something that we've been good at. We've always had the wrong definition. The Bible over and over and over again confronts the worldly ideas and ideals of love. And corrects them by pointing us to the true love found in God through Jesus Christ. So that's what we want to do today. This weekend, this day called Valentine's Day, where we celebrate so-called love. We want to make sure that we are looking at love in a biblical way, in a gospel way. I think it would would be a good idea for us to spend a few moments giving an overview, maybe a high-level view from Scripture, what it looks like to actually love Because definitions abound. But the Bible tells us that God is love. So if God is love, he's the one who gets to define love. And if God is love, he's the only one we can go to in order to know what love is. So we want to do that today. First John chapter four, beginning with verse seven, says this. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. We are hated the way he is hated, and that can lead us to wondering if we are secure. Love gives us that security. There is no fear. In love, verse 18, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. God commands that we love one another. This isn't optional for believers, which should stop us for just a moment. When we look at verse 7 and we see we love one another as believers and we look at verse 21, right? So the beginning and at the end of the passage tells us that this is a command that we love God and love our brothers in Christ. 
then this whole idea of love being an emotion has to fly out the window. The, the whole law and commandments, the whole law of God, Jesus says, boils down to this. He repeats what's said in Deuteronomy. When he got asked in Matthew chapter 22 by one of the lawyers, asked him a question. And this is what the text says in Matthew 22, beginning with verse 35. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. A second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The entire Bible can be defined by love God, love one another. This is what we are as God's people. So practically speaking, you have to take a step back here. If love is a commandment, then it cannot simply be an emotion. It can't be dependent on our feelings or, or how well somebody treats us or how the same we are with someone or our circumstances or on how connected we feel to one another. Love isn't defined by those things because love is a commandment. I hate to ruin Valentine's Day for you, but that's just it. You can look at your spouse now. I love you because I have to. <laughs> Pastor Brad said I could say it, right? I love you because I'm supposed to. But just think for a second, even in marriage, some days that's all you have, isn't it? Some days I'm loving you. Why? Because I'm supposed to. I'm loving you not because you're lovable. I'm loving you because I'm supposed to. And guys, that's usually why our wives love us. Because they're supposed to. Love is a commandment and we need to take a step back from this emotional standpoint. Now, I'm all for emotion. I'm all for all of that. Joanne will tell you I'm the crier in the family, right? That's the way it works, okay? And I get all of that. But that's not love. It, it can give sweetness to love. It can give joy to love. But love is a commandment. Love is something that God commands his people to do. And if we're talking about a connection, just as a little aside, and we'll get to it in a little while, if you want to talk about a connection, the only connection you need to be worried about when it comes to love is whether you're abiding in Jesus. That's real connection. That you abide in Jesus and he abides in you and the love of the Father is shown in you, that's real connection, right? And so as we get into this idea of love, it can be one of those things where, okay, I'm supposed to love, but it's hard. How do I do it? Good news. What God commands, God provides. What God commands, God provides. And how does he do that? God provides love for us in himself. God is love, and love comes from God. This, this makes the idea of not loving, the lack of love, actually a great affront to God and his glory. When we're not loving, we're actually saying that we're not connected to God, that we don't follow God. When we are unloving, we're actually not demonstrating the character of God. But it also means that the more we love and grow in love, the more secure we can be in calling ourselves the children of God. 
Because the more and more we're looking like God himself. So, so what does this love, this commandment of love look like? First of all, love for others. And here's the confidence that's built in us. Love for others is a sure sign of our salvation. Look at verse 7. That we've been born again. This is what we're told in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Being born again and knowing God would be the definition of salvation. Being born again and knowing God would be the definition of salvation. In this idea of being born again, John chapter 1 would tell us this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. When we trust Jesus, we're born again, and love is being produced. And that's something that God is providing in our salvation. What God commands, God provides. Verse 7 also tells us that salvation is knowing God. And this is what Jesus prayed the night before his death, that they would know You, he's talking to the Father, and the one you sent. That's what salvation looks like, is in knowing God. But then he goes on here in 1 John chapter 4, and look at verses 12 and 16 and 17. He goes further. Not only are we born again, not only do we know God, but part of salvation and the experience of our salvation is abiding in God. Verse 12 says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And then he goes on in verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. That's great connection. By this, is, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. We can have a sure sign, a confident sign of our salvation when we love. Because love comes from God. John would tell us in John chapter 15 in his gospel, in the words of Jesus, what this abiding looks like. Jesus plainly says, if you're going to be his follower, abiding in him is key. This is what it looks like. John 15 verse 4 says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So what's he saying? You cannot bear the fruit that I'm requiring of you. Unless you abide in me, unless you're connected to me, he goes on. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. That's what he wants us to do is to bear much fruit. And then he goes on and says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't bear fruit unless you're abiding in him. You can't be a branch that's broken off because of the ice laying in the middle of old church road and bear fruit. Everybody with me? You have to stay connected. And that connection is not to the person that you love. It's to the person who loves you, God. Is everybody with me? Everybody following what I'm saying? We've mixed this up. We put the cart before the horse. Loving others is not about staying connected to them. It's about staying connected to the source of love. And so he says, you're not going to bear fruit unless you're connected, unless you're abiding. He goes on and he says this in verse 8 of chapter 15. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So you prove that you're a part of him, that you're one of his followers, that you're saved. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Wait a minute. So what's the fruit he's looking for? 
But I want to take a guess what the fruit is that he's looking for. Love. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And if you weren't getting it, he's going to say now what fruit looks like in keeping his commandments and staying abiding in him. He's going to say it really plainly. This is my commandment. Just underline that right there in John 15. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Love is a sure sign of our salvation because we're abiding in Christ. And the only way we can have true love for anyone is to be connected to the source of love. Love for others is also the clearest way we can have confidence before the Lord that we belong to him. That's what, that's what John is getting at here in 1 John. Not only can you know now that you are saved, but you can know when you stand before God that you are secure. You can come confidently before the Lord. Let's just admit it. Like, just admit it up front, right? People, including ourselves, are not very lovable. You might think you're the most lovable person in the world. I'm just going to tell you, there's somebody who doesn't like you. Right? Some of you are going, that's just not true. You don't know me. But, but the fact is, people aren't especially lovable puppies puppies are lovable baby penguins which many of you looked like while you were walking on the ice today totally lovable human beings not so much we're sinners so the idea of loving that which is unlovable would that not be a clear sign that we belong to the one who loved us while we were unlovable. The more we love that which is unlovable, the more we're becoming like Christ. First John four twelve, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That's a weird way of putting it. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And then he goes on and he says, and then I want you to have confidence now. Not only has he given you his spirit now, have confidence before him on the day of judgment. By this is love perfected with us, verse 17, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We don't have to fear standing before God when his love is being perfected in us. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Anybody else? Does that sound strange to you that the one who perfectly loves, his love is being perfected in us? Well, first of all, we need to understand we are inspired to love others by his love. We are inspired by God's love to love others. One day, everybody's going to stand before God in judgment. We want to come confidently before him, knowing that we're secure in Christ Jesus. And the fact that we love like Jesus is going to give us that confidence. The fact that his love is producing something in us is actually going to give us a great source of confidence. We become inspired by God's love towards us. So what happens is, and this is what he's telling us here in verse 12, no one has ever seen God, right? 
If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The idea is very simple. No one has ever seen God, but when I start loving the way God loves, people see God. Is everybody with me on this? No one has ever seen God, but when I start loving the way God loves me, people start seeing who God is. So there I am mimicking the love of God, and that should give me confidence before God. He goes on to say, and he says it twice, that the love of God is being perfected in us. What does that mean? The perfect lover has a love that's being perfected in us. It's a simple idea. Here's the simple idea. It's reaching its intended purpose. Let me say it plainly to you. God has not loved me or you as an end to itself. He loves us so that we would start looking like Jesus by loving others. He doesn't just love you to get you to heaven. He loves you so that you will start manifesting how great he is by loving others. That's the perfecting work of the love of God. It's making us more like Christ, but it's also showing everybody the intended purpose of God's love. That's why Jesus would say, love as I've loved you. As I abide in the Father's love, you now abide in my love. And then he defines the greatest love. What does he say that the greatest love is? Greater love has no man than this, that a man laid on his life for his friends. Guess what he was about to do? And he wants us now to perfect that love, to show that love and its intended purpose. We can now, if we are in Christ Jesus, stand fearlessly before God because his love has been made manifest in us and through us. Another way of saying this, and this is on the negative side, would be this. That a lack of love for others is a sure sign that we have not become children of God by faith in Jesus. A lack of love would show that we're not abiding in Christ. A lack of love would show that we have not received that love and therefore aren't making that love manifest. That we don't belong to him. We are not saved by how well we love. But the surest sign that God's love has taken root in us and has saved us by his grace is that we love others the way God loved us. That should stop us dead in our tracks, shouldn't it? When Jesus told us to love our brothers in Christ, and this is how they'll know you're my disciples if you love one another. You keep my commandments, and my commandment is to love one another, right? But then he says things like love your enemies. That should stop us dead in our tracks that Jesus' type of love would be to love our enemies and our brothers. Why? Because Jesus loved his brothers and loved his enemies. And before you get... Mixed up on which side of the line we were on, we were his enemies. Remember Romans 5 that we read earlier? He made enemies into his friends by loving his enemies. Romans 5 verse 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. 
Well, what is this love? What is this love that we're talking about? It's, it's got to be more than doing nice things for people, saying nice things to people, buying nice things for people, being nice to people. I mean, love is definitely not less than that, but you can nice people right into hell. Right? You can smile people into an eternal suffering apart from God. No, love is speaking the truth in love. Love is coming alongside of people. Love is sacrificing for people. But love is definitely not less than being nice, but it's also much more than being nice. The Bible demonstrates that love is more than a feeling, more than emotion, more than niceties and cards and flowers as much as those things are great. Love is defined by the nature of God. And it's demonstrated in the sacrificial death of Jesus. Love is defined by the nature of God and demonstrated by the sacrificial death of Jesus. Just look back at the text here in 1 John 4 and you'll see it very plainly. We can't get away from the gospel here. It's not just that we want to define love. We want to see the good news in this love. Love is shown in Jesus coming to bring us eternal life. Look at verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. He sent his son so that we can have life. This is what love looks like. Verse 9 tells us this is the love of God. This is how the love of God was shown to us that he sent his only son so that we can have life. John, in his gospel, tells us the same thing. John 3.16, you know it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the love of God shown to us in Christ that we would have life. But he goes further. He doesn't just bring us life. He also takes the wrath of God in our place. Jesus shows us the love of God. Love is shown by Jesus taking the wrath of God against sin in our place. Look at verse 10. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son. Once again, the son is the way that he's showing his love to be the propitiation for our sins. This is the big theological term, propitiation. And what does it mean? It means the wrath of God was turned away from us and placed on Jesus. Have you ever seen like the old movies where, you know, they're on a island and the native peoples have a volcano on the island and they're trying to appease the god of the volcano you guys kind of know what i'm talking about like you go back to the old black and white movies what do they do they throw somebody into the volcano in order to appease the god of the volcano right just watch it tom hanks was in one of these with meg ryan joe versus the volcano it's awful and great Okay, but they throw somebody in to appease the wrath of the god of the volcano that's propitiation appeasing the wrath of God. And what Jesus did is on the cross, he took the wrath of God in our place. We deserved it. The wages of our sin was death, and he took the propitiation. He took the wrath of God. Isaiah 53 would tell us this way. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. He took our place. Love is shown by Jesus taking our place. Look at verse 13. Love is shown by God giving us his spirit, by Jesus giving us his spirit 
to all who confess Jesus as the Son of God, the Lord. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us. By this we know we're, we're connected to him, that we are one with him, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. He gives us his spirit so that we know we belong to him. The way Paul would put this in the book of Ephesians is the the spirit is like the down payment. It's the handshake from God to say one day you will receive the inheritance. We can have confidence now because his love has been shown by giving us his spirit. And then finally, as we've been talking about, love is shown in that now we can have confidence before God. We get to be called the children of God. Think about that. You went from enemy to child of God, enemy to adopted because of love. Now, do you think God looked at you and said, I think that guy would be great in my family? You just do a quick, honest assessment of yourself. It was not anything good about you that caused God to adopt you into his family. You were his enemy. If you were anything, you were just really good at being his enemy. And yet Jesus took our place. And now we can know the love of God and we can abide in him and we can have confidence in him. First John 2, now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him. In shame at his coming. There's no more shame when we come before the Lord because of his love. So today the call is simple. It's a command. It's a command that God says, I'm going to give you everything you need in order to keep the command. If you belong to Jesus, you're going to have everything you need in order to keep the commandment. The commandment, love one another as I've loved you. Abide in my love and love one another. The command is to love with a gospel love, a sacrificial love, a hope-filled love, a future-oriented love, a grace-giving, forgiving, patient love. When Joanny and I decided, after never having been on a date, that we were going to get married. So we had a three-hour conversation. At the end of it, decided we're getting married. In the middle of that conversation, I, I told her, what I promised to do is I promised to love you as you are, but to love you even more for who God is going to make you. That's the type of love that God calls us to. The future hope-oriented love. The Jesus spirit-oriented love that says, I know that he's not done with you yet. In the same way he's not done with me yet. I love you as you are, but I'm going to love you more as he makes you into who he wants you to be. Oh, would, when, I, when I talk to folks who are about to get married and... One of the things I just recently told a couple is I, I said, look, I want you to think about it. Your wedding day is the day where everybody's talking about love, but it should be the day that for the rest of your life you look back on it and say, I loved you the least on that day. <laughs> avalanche just happened. For those watching online, we just have an avalanche come off of the uh, roof. It sounded like. I want you to think about that for just a second. Today, believer, is the day where you love people the least for the rest of your life. If you're going to be obedient to the Father, 
obedient to your Savior, should be growing in love, becoming more and more like Jesus. If you're listening today, watching online, and you're here today, and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior who died in your place and took God's punishment and wrath against sin on himself, if you've never turned from your own strength, from your own lusts, from your own desires, and trusted in Jesus as the Lord of your life and the Lord of all, if you've never repented of your sins and turned to faith in Christ, the news for you today is not good unless you turn from sin and trust Christ. You cannot love the way God has intended you to love. You'll have a great Valentine's Day maybe, but you won't love people the way you're intending you're intended to love. At some point your love will be selfish. At some point your love will be self-centered. At some point you'll give in order to get. You won't love the way God loves. Because love flows only from God's love and abiding in him. You, outside of Jesus Christ, cannot have confidence before God, standing in his love, because you are not called a child of God. You're made by God, and he loves you. And yet his special love has been placed on his children, adopting us by, by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ into his family. And unless today is a day where you call upon the name of the Lord, as his spirit overwhelms you to trust the love and the grace of Jesus Christ shown at the cross, and you trust in the sacrificial death of Christ, you can't have confidence before the Lord. So will you trust him today? Will you trust him today? Will you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, the Lord of all, to believe in your heart that he died on the cross for your sins and rose again? Will you call on the name of the Lord for his love, his grace, his mercy, his salvation today? And believer, believer in Christ, John says it best in chapter 3 of 1 John. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Hey, if you're being rejected by the world, you're just becoming more like Jesus, unless you're just a jerk. <laughs> but if you're loving like Jesus and being rejected by the world, it's different, isn't it? When you're loving your enemies and being rejected by the world, when you're loving the brethren and being rejected by the world, Becoming more like Jesus. And if it's true that he has loved us in this way, that we are the children of God, then how can we not love? Since it's true that God has loved us in this way, how can we not love? Verse 11, 1 John 4. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. And if he's loved us, since he's loved us in this way, how can we not love? So, believer, how will you demonstrate the love of Christ this week? How will you show others that God is real and that God is love? How will you do it? Who will you forgive this week? Because love forgives. What enemy will you do good for this week? Now I'm stepping on toes. What brother or sister in Christ will you pray for and go out of your way for this week? To become inconvenienced for them, to sacrifice for them. What will you give this week so that others can know the love of Christ? Where, where will you go to show the love of Christ that you otherwise wouldn't go? How will others know from you this week that God is love? 
and that true love is found only in Jesus Christ. In just a moment, the band's going to come up and lead us in two songs as we close out our service. But as the video plays in just a moment, use this as a time of commitment to the Lord. Believer, that you would say, I am loved, therefore I will love. The type of hope-filled, sacrificial, action-oriented love that shows others who Christ is. And if you're not a believer, use this as the opportunity to reach out and say, I need Christ. We want to hear from you so that you know that Jesus Christ is king. Let's watch this together.